Now, this morning, I want to, I want to talk a, a, on a standalone sermon. In fact, for the next three weeks, I won't be in a series. Well, I like series because they're kind of nice and easy to keep following a thought process. But for the next couple of weeks, non-series, I want to highlight... I want to talk about a couple of things that I think would be helpful for us to have as we begin a new year. Some things that might help you along the way. Now, ch- chances are good if, we, uh, if I put a note out to everyone and said, hey, send me the kind of things you'd like me to think, talk about getting you ready for the new year, I'd probably have a hundred or more. So to limit it down to two, three, or four is you know, pretty sizable. But I'm looking at some areas where I'm thinking that as we're approaching the new year, it would be helpful. Uh, helpful for you, helpful for me, uh, things in my life that if I can stop and think about them, maybe they'd be helpful along the way. So that's what I want to do. And I want to build off of something today on this first one. I want to build off of something that I actually said on Christmas Eve and then highlighted last week as well. And it kind of revolves around this statement. We don't need God to mess up our plans. We mess up our own plans just fine on our own. I want to kind of build off that a little bit with that thought process. I confess to you that if, I, if I'm honest, I probably was born in the wrong era. If I, if I kind of look at the things I like most, I love, the, I love the big band era. I love the music and the history of the World War, II, World, World War II era. I love those early television shows. They still are some of my go-tos. I love Jackie Gleason, The Honeymooners, Jack Benny, uh, Leave it to Beaver. Father Knows Best. If only people would, would believe that to be true today. Father Knows Best. Um, I, I love the original. I love Lucy. Uh, in fact, my, my kids grew up watching I Love Lucy. There's something about watching her specifically because of a whole show that's based upon whatever predicament she can get herself into next. And if you know some of those shows, you just immediately smile as you imagine Lucy trying to sell Vita Vita something in, whatever, right? She couldn't say it either. Uh, watch this, this episode where she's working on the chocolate conveyor belt. Or where she's stomping grapes in the grape pit with the women from, from Italy and they get into a fight in the middle of that thing. Now, for some of you, I see your heads are nodding, you're smiling. Others of you have this blank look on your face like you have got no idea what I'm talking about. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, it means two things, maybe three. One, it means you're young, ignorant. <clears throat> no, uh, you haven't lived yet. And you have no hope of success in life until you figure out what I'm talking about. So if you really don't know, go check those out. But one of the things that gets strike me is you, get a whole, you have a whole series and the whole thing is based on what predicament can she get herself into and get out of next. So that kind of brings me into what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the idea that we are going to get ourselves in trouble. In the course of this year, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. We get in trouble physically, emotionally, financially. And if you're like me, there are times when you find yourself going, man, how did I get here? You find yourselves like, how in the world? That's our theme this morning. How in the world? How in the world did I get myself into this mouse? How in the world did I not see this trouble coming? How in the world do I find myself where I'm at right now? So while it's early in the new year, let me give to you some insight as to how it is that you're going to get in trouble this coming year. I actually want to show how it's going to happen. I'm going to lay it right out for you. This is how you're going to get in trouble. And my hope would be that if you know how it happens, when you see it happening, you might be able to keep it from happening. Now, I really believe that to be true, but I also have to be transparent to say that if it was flawless, I would not ever be in trouble again in my life right? Because I'm telling you what to do. So you must think, well, you must never be in trouble. See, the problem is not the plan. The problem is executing the plan. 
So I can see trouble when it comes. And when we get done today, you're going to be able to say, I can see it coming. You still have some choices to make. But my hope is that by understanding how it all works out, maybe you'll make the right choices. Now, I also want to tell you, as we'll look at this, that I'm not talking about, I talk about trouble. I'm not talking about getting a bad, a bad report from the doctor. I'm not talking about the kind of trouble that comes when uh, you lose a spouse or a loved one, those things that are completely out of your control. Specifically, I want to talk about self-inflicted trouble. I want to talk about how we get ourselves in these moments where it's clearly us, it's all us, it's our doing. So right up front, let me give you the answer to the issue, why we get in trouble, and then let me unpack it for you. Here's why we get in trouble. When we try to live our lives outside of God's plan, when we ignore God's will, when we ignore God's direction, when we ignore God's instructions, when we think that we know better and we refuse to live by God's principles for living that he gives us in his word, when we do any of those things, guess what happens? Trouble. It's that simple. The way that most of us will get ourselves in trouble is when we decide we know better than God, when we decide that we will not live according to the instructions and the principles that God has given us in his word. And probably one of the most prolific characters in scripture that we can learn from is a guy named Jonah. And we're going to take a look this morning at Jonah. Jonah is a classic example of someone who has defied God's, God's direct word, gets himself in trouble. But I like this story for the fact that it's a complete story. I mean, it shows him pre-trouble, shows him in trouble, shows him out of trouble, shows the redeeming moment. It's the whole package. And it shows him back in trouble. I like it because it's my life. It's, so, it's yours as well. Is there going to be a moment where you go, ah, finally trouble-free? Nope. But... The plan is still in place, and it's a redemptive plan. So I want to look at Jonah's story. Now, immediately, part of the struggle I have with Jonah's story is that when I talk about Jonah, there is a character in Jonah's story that tends to overshadow the whole story. His name is Whale. The problem with Jonah is the whale always seems to overshadow the story. I mean, when you, you got Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the whale, it's almost like that they are historical, a historical famous couple. Like other couples, you know, Anthony and Cleopatra, Romeo and Juliet, Bonnie and Clyde, Sonny and Cher, Jonah and Whale. It's, it's kind of like a package deal that it's kind of hard to separate them out. But you need to understand a couple of things. Number one, first of all, the word whale is not found in the Bible, right? The Bible says God created a great fish. And the other problem with it is that God prepared a great fish, but I don't care how big the fish is. The fish is only a minor character in the story. It really is only a minor character, but yet it seems to occupy the story. It's a minor character. The, the fish at best is a supporting actor. The fish at best is, is just a, a stand-in for a moment, but it's not the main character. Listen, let me take, give you a clue right up front. The book of Jonah is about Jonah, not about the fish. But that's where we go. The story of Jonah is the story of our lives. And from the story of Jonah, it's going to teach us how it is we get in trouble how it is that we'll get out of trouble in God's redemption plan. So we'll walk through that. Let me start the starting places in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and he said this, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So let me give you a starting place. I'm going to break this in phases. The very first phase is God gives us his instructions. So the very first phase of how we get in trouble is God says, I have something for you to do. Now, God clearly communicates to Jonah, there is something specific for you to do. I have a job for you to do. 
very, very specific, have some instructions for you that are, are for you right now, you to go and do. And that's not new news. It's not new news because God always has a purpose for us. He happens in this story to be saying to Jonah, I have this job for you to do right now. But just so you know, the Bible is clear. God has created every one of us with a purpose, on purpose, for a purpose. If you're here and you think your purpose is just occupying time and space, if you're here thinking your purpose is just to have a paycheck and provide for the family and get ready for retirement, then you've missed it. See, it's not new news that God would say, I have a purpose for your life. Your paycheck does not bring you fulfillment. Your job does not bring to you the satisfaction of life that you desperately need. God says, I got a plan for that. I have a purpose. So he says to Jonah, I have a job for you to do. It's not new news. And it's also not new news that in all of our lives, God would say to each of us, listen, I've got a purpose for you, generally and specifically, everyone. Some of you, some of us, I'll I'll take that, I'll change the wording. Some of us like to go through life thinking, well, I really haven't heard anything specific from God, so I'm free to do what I want. Well, let me just say to you, he has given to us a specific purpose, but also general. Let's start with the general. It means this, we all know right from wrong. God doesn't have to have a middle of the night meeting with you with a a specific job and place to go for you to know that God wants you to live your life in such a way that honors him. There's a right way to live. Be truth tellers, not liars. God doesn't have to wake you up to tell you, tell the truth for you to know to tell the truth. So there's a general way God speaks in our lives. How to treat people, how to treat people with honor and grace. What kind of attitudes we're to have and how to ditch some bad attitudes. I don't have to go through a whole list of what's a bad attitude. You know when you have a bad attitude. I know when I have a bad attitude. And so don't play the game that says, well, you know, God hasn't been real clear. He doesn't need to be real clear, though he already has been really clear in his word. So God doesn't have to have a moment where he speaks to you directly to know that there's some general areas. Uh, We need to forgive people. We We need to live our lives with a thought process that says, I will forgive others. Now, forgiveness, that's a really good one. In fact, that's one of the things we should talk about. But I won't tell you which week because you may not show up. Um... Because that's one of the things for a lot of us, we go, ah, I don't want to forgive. But we're going to talk about that because I guarantee this year, you're going to have to do some forgiving, maybe already. So we'll talk about some of those things. Now, generally, there's a right way, there's a God way in which to live. But also, there's some specifics. Now listen, the Bible is clear, once again, the Bible is clear that God's made every, per- every person for a purpose. You are not the result. You are not the result of some molecular accident called evolution. You realize that you were designed on purpose and by purpose, that there was creative design in your life. And the creative design of God in your life means he has something he's created you for. So God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. This isn't someone else's job. This is your job. I'm sending you. This is not something where you say, well, Lord, isn't there someone else that could do it? I mean, if I don't do it, someone else will come along. This is not the case. He says, no, I want you to go. I want you to preach to them, and I want you to call them to repent. He basically says this, because I see how they're living. I see the sin that they're living in, and it's wrong. It has to change. Now, some quick history. Nineveh was the capital of the whole Assyrian Empire. And just for historical background, Nineveh was the largest, wealthiest, most powerful, most influential city in the world at that time. 
It, uh, it was a huge city, about 500 to 600,000 people, so half a million people. It stretched for 30 miles, the entire city stretched for 30 miles on the Tigris River, which is now today modern Iraq. And it was a long city. Now, that makes sense. It was long because it was on the river. So it wasn't deep, but it was about 30 miles long because, of course, they wanted to be on the, on the riverbanks. And so that's the background. This is a pretty powerful, influential city. Now, remember, folks, that God sees the sin that's going on in Nineveh. He says to, to Jonah, I want you to go there because I see the sin that's taking place. I need to remind you, God sees the sin happening in L.A. God sees the sin that's happening in New York City. God sees the sin that's happening in Chicago. God sees the sin that's happening in Washington, D.C. Oh, how he sees the sin that's happening in Washington, D.C. He sees it. But I also need to tell you that he sees the sin in Chittenden County. And he sees the sin that's happening on your street. He sees the sin happening in your house. He sees the sin that's happening in our lives. You see, we have this view that says, God, do you not see the sin happening in the world? And God says, I see it just fine. And if I keep looking at it, it keeps going right down to you. So make sure that if you got caught up in this world where you're seeing all the evil in this world, just remember God sees all of it right down to your doorstep and right into the hidden parts of your life. You see, we don't hide anything from God. I think it's good to be reminded of. So God says to Jonah, I want you. I want you to go to that city. I want you to tell them there's a better way. Now, remember, when God tells you what it is that you're to do, you do not have to say yes. Got that? You do not have to say yes. God will not force you. But I also have to say that when you're having instructions from God and you decide to not do it, trouble. That just goes with the territory. So the first thing we have is God's instruction. That's the starting place in our lives. God will say to us, this is what I want you to do, whether generally or specifically. Now we come to the next phase, which is Jonah's hesitation at it all. Verse 3. But Jonah, so he hears a word from God. God says, I want you to go. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God says to Jonah, I have a plan for you. Jonah says back to God, no, I don't think so. Thank you very much, but no thank you. Now at this stage in our experience, it happens kind of like this. This is the moment where God says, I have a plan for you. I want you to do this thing. And we begin to think to ourselves, you know, God, I'm not sure you know the whole circumstance. See, this is the point in our experience where we kind of have thought processes. God, I'm not, I'm not sure you have my best interest at heart. I'm not sure that you have all of the details. I'm not sure you thoroughly know everything that's involved here that I am dealing with. I don't think you know the hurt that I've experienced, God. I don't think you quite get the picture. I don't know that, I don't think that God knows exactly what he's doing in totality, but it's not his fault. It's because he's not here living in the life I'm living, so he doesn't fully get it. Now, please hear this. This rejection of God's plan seldom in our lives looks like open rebellion. Now, I really need you to tune in here for just a moment. You see, the rebellion against God that we demonstrate seldom looks like rebellion to us. The rejection of God says, I want you to go and do this, seldom looks like we're rebelling against God. See, our rationale is this. Listen, Scott, I don't hate God. I don't reject God. I'm not cursing God. I'm not even angry at God. We just happen to disagree. Now, doesn't that sound nice? 
See, I'm not angry at God. I'm not cursing. I'm not saying, God, you're wrong. I'm just saying, God, I don't think you understand. And you would say, that's not rejection. Absolutely it is. You see, friends, you need to hear this. Sin isn't, I hate God. Sin is an attitude. Sin is the attitude that says, I know better. Or for whatever reason, I'll just do different. That's sin. You don't have to shake your fist at God. You don't have to curse him. Now, there's another way that we reject God's plan and still feel good about it. And in this kind of rejection, we actually even say yes to God. This is really good. We're very good at this. God wants me to do something, and I say yes in a minute. Does that sound good? See, here, let me give you an example. While we're still early in the year, a lot of us feel really, really good about the fact that we have New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to ask you who's made a New Year resolution, because if I ask you and raise your hand, I'm also going to ask you in six months to raise your hand again if you've kept it. And I don't want to embarrass you in six months, so I won't ask you now. But right now, all sorts of people have made New Year's resolutions. And this time of year, many of us feel really, really good about them, even though if we're honest, we know in our heart, we will never see them through to the end. Well, then why do we feel good about something we know we're not going to do? You know why, right? Because we intend to. Isn't that great? I can feel really good about my life because I intend to do the right thing. God, I feel really good about not doing your plan because I, I intend to do your plan. But in the meantime, I'm not. See, that's what we do. It, it, rejection with, of God's plan, rejection of God's instructions is sel- seldom us shaking our fist at God. Now, in Jonah's story, he's pretty defiant in what he does, and we'll see that. Jonah doesn't think God's plan is so great, so he goes down to the cruise ship line. He goes down to the cruise ship office in Joppa, and he goes, hey, I wanna, I'm going to take a cruise. I want to take a little Mediterranean break, and uh, I want to go to Tarshish. And so they sent him up with a ticket. Now, catch this, if you will. Nineveh is where God wants him to go. And as I said, Nineveh is modern-day Iraq today. And just so you know, perspective-wise, look up at a map sometimes. From, if you're standing at the coastal port of Joppa or Jaffa, if you're standing there and you're wondering where Nineveh is, Nineveh is due east from there, 400 miles. 400 miles due east, Nineveh. Tarshish due west, 3,000 miles. Now think about that, 3,000 miles. Listen, that's a major journey today. Imagine back then he's taking a ship 3,000 miles in the exact opposite direction of where God wants him to go. And in fact, if you look where he's going, he's going to this city called Tarshish. If you look at it on a map, in an, old, in an ancient map, you'll find that it's just around the corner in the, from the Straits of Gibraltar in Spain. It's the last stop of the known world. It's the last place of civilization, meaning if he went in to get a ship to go somewhere, he, it sure looks like he went in and said, listen, so Nineveh's here, what's the farthest point from there? And the guy would say, well, the furthest point we have is uh, Tarshish, it's uh, you know, about a nine-month uh, you know, ride, it's uh, through the Straits of Gibraltar, and the reason it's the last stop is because the next stop is crossing the Atlantic. If you look on a map from where Tarshish is and you look across this, straight across, you're in the United States. You're landing in New York City. But there, no one's doing that. It's as far away as you can go. That's his plan. Go far away as I can go. Now, let me tell you something that I've learned in 40 years of pastoring and even longer being a believer, and that is this. You ever see someone 
who seems to be really active in the church at one point in time. I mean, they're really active, love Jesus, and just join in. And then, and then it seems like, whether quickly or, 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 or subtly, but one day you recognize that not, not only are they not following Jesus, but they're about as far away as they could possibly be. You know what I mean? It just looks like they've just gone the opposite direction. Now, please know just real transparency. Pre-COVID, you know, and this has been true across all sorts of churches. Pre-COVID, churches were full of people. And then since COVID, there's been people that were so active in churches, not just ours, but active in churches, appeared to be just all in. And they never show up again anywhere in church. Everywhere, anywhere. It's not like they've gone to a different church. Hey, if that happens, God bless them. But nowhere. And if you look a little closer, it's like they're living as far away from God as possible. I got to tell you, it's not new news. Because what I've seen and what happens is this. Oftentimes in our lives, when I'm going to decide to not follow God's instruction or plan, I don't want to be around those who are, so I get as far away from it all as I can. Why do I want to be reminded every day that I'm disobedient to God? And so you find people that seem to be living as far away. Man, that's Jonah, just like Jonah's day. We have people who decide to run from God, and as long as they're going to run, then they're going to run as far away as they can. So let's be real honest here. There are thousands of ways that we can run from God, right? There's thousands of ways that you can evade God's plan for your life without taking a cruise ship 3,000 miles away. You can evade God's plan through your recreation. You can dodge God calling on your life by your hobbies. Careers are great distraction from God's plan. Go make money and do so thing. I got to care for my family. I take care of the bills. Go do that. It's a great distraction from God's plan. Making money, being successful, buying things, finding out how to be a millionaire by the time you're 40, whatever it might be, go ahead and do it. They're great distractions, great way to evade God's plan. Relationships are popular ways to evade God's plan. But here's the reality that Jonah missed. You can't really run away from a God who is everywhere, right? I mean, just how, think how dumb this is. I'm going to run to Tarshish. I mean, was there a sign up somewhere that says, hey, run to Tarshish because God's presence stops at the Straits of Gibraltar? You know, you cross this line, you're free. If you can get past there because his presence stops here. You can't run from a God who's everywhere. You can't do it. Which brings us to our third place. So first we have God's instruction. The second phase, we have the hesitation. It goes, ah, I don't know. And then now we have the desperation, third phase. We come to Jonah's desperation. Just a side note for you. Desperation only comes after a time of deterioration. See, we only get desperate about life when life deteriorates. We don't get desperate when things are good. We get desperate when things are bad. So there's no question, you know, that we get on the ship and it's a nice, pleasant you know, journey until things start falling apart. That's the way that it works. So let's read a group of verses from, uh, from our story from the beginning of verse 4. So then the Lord sent a great wind. So he jumps on this ship going to Tarshish. So the Lord sends a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come on, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven and who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them 
And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So the seas kick up. Now, this has had to be one bad storm, right? Because these are seasoned sailors. And these seasoned sailors, they're not sailing in the middle of winter. They would be sailing in prime time, which would be the summer months. They're in prime time, and this storm is so bad that these guys know something's not right. So it's got to be a pretty bad storm at such levels where they've gone past the fact, ah, a little stray storm. They're in the place where they're going. There's somebody has to be to blame for this crisis. Now, not this winter, but we had a couple of winters here in our area where the winter was so bad, so cold, so snowy. I remember going to one staff meeting and saying, listen, one of you have sinned. It's pretty clear. <laughs> it's just clear that if it's not here, it's somewhere in the church. This Sunday, we're just going to, we're, go, we're going through the ranks. Somebody's sinning. That, that's clear. That's where they're at. They're going, man, this is so bad. There's got to be someone to blame for this. Now, they, so they go through this, this process. They all pray to their own gods. You know, what's interesting at this point is nobody cares what kind of God you have. Just if you've got one, pray. At this point, they'll take any God that answers. Just, just pray. Whoever God answers, he wins. That's not working, so they start throwing cargo over, overboard to get the ship lighter. In the meantime, Jonah's sleeping below deck. I don't fault him for that because I, I can sleep in a crisis. I mean, bad crisis, pff, big deal. It'll be there tomorrow. I can sleep right through it. We can have a major fight, you know, in our lives in marriage, and I can go, you know, it's like, let's just pick up this tomorrow. You know, it's like, that's not the best way to go. But that's my, and if I'm driving the car, if we're going to go on a trip, I'll drive 40 hours straight. I won't blink an eye. 40 hours, let's get going. But if I'm not driving, just put me in the back seat, let me go sleep. So I don't fault him. Guy gets down, he goes to sleep. The captain comes and wakes him up. And look what the captain says. The captain says, listen, you're the last guy here. Everyone else, and there's no blame at this point, his, his statement to Jonah is, everyone else has prayed to their God. You're the only guy who hasn't. So your God's up next. So wake up and start praying, and maybe he'll get us out of this. Now, in the meantime, the storm is so bad that these guys have figured out this calamity's got to be somebody's fault. So in their deep theological genius, they came up with a plan, we'll, th- we'll cast lots We'll draw straws to see who's to blame. I do not recommend this process for finding out God's plan in your life. I just would just don't do it. But interestingly, God, it, God uses it here. When our kids were little, we'd go to the restaurants, and they get so anxious waiting for food, right? I mean, if the kids are little, it's like, when's it going to come? When's it going to come? And so I created this game, and we still do it to this day for fun. Um, you unwrap the silverware, and if you take a, the knives you usually get in a restaurant and put them on a hard surface, you can spin them. You know, like a, a wheel type thing. And so we'd sit there and pass the time. I would spin the knife. i say, okay, we're going to spin the knife game. I said, whoever it points to is going to get your food first. So I'd spin the knife and they're all watching. And at first, nobody cares. Everyone, you know, nobody cares. But all of a sudden it falls away. Oh, you're going to get your food first. Okay, who's going to have the best meal here? Spin that. Well, you know, sooner or later they begin to, you know, watch. And I go, so let's see, who's the most fun person in our family? Spin that. All of a sudden everyone's, you know. Now it's only a knife spinning the hand of God is not on this knife. But you can't tell them that. Because now you got, oh, let it be me, let it be me, let it be me. I mean, even Diane's over there. I want to be the fun one. I want to be the fun one. You know, who's the grumpy one? I'm over there going, no, don't let it be me. Don't let it be me. Let it be one of them. And so you spend this night and you find the whole meal changes because all of a sudden it says, who's the grumpy one? And it falls on one of them. It's like, I'm not grumpy. So now you got tears, the whole deal. It's just a knife game. Listen, friends, a side note for you. I, I, I'm not sure I should say this, but 
The issue isn't how you go about seeking out God's plan. It says, do you really trust him? Even in this moment, these guys trust the lot system because they believe God's going to show up. And he does. So they cast lots and it's Jonah. So they say to Jonah, so why are we in this trouble? It's, it's you. The knife told us it's you. Why are we in this trouble? Who are you? Where are you from? What kind of work do you do? I love his answer. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of heaven. And I like the fact that he throws us in. I worship the God of heaven, who, by the way, is the guy who made the sea that we're in and makes the dry ground that we want to be on. Why would you add those into the picture other than to just spice up the moment? I worship the God who's creating this sea, these seas and the God who creates the dry land that we want to be on and just terrify them. You see, they all had gods that they all worship, but none of their gods claim to be the creator of the world. None of their gods claim to be the overseer of the wind and the rain and the seas and the land. So they say to Jonah, well, what are, we, what are, what are you doing? He's already said he's running from God. So, so the real statement, they're going, what are you doing running from God? You see, here's what's interesting. Even they know that running from God who is everywhere is stupid. If you're running from God thinking that you can outrun him, even they know. How dumb are you? So that's what they're saying to them. They go, you've got to be kidding us. Now stop you for a quick moment. I've I, I got to give Jonah some credit, very sincerely. The captain goes to Jonah and says to him, um, wake up and pray to your God. Stop this storm. And notice he doesn't pray. Now, we don't have any record that he prayed. We believe if he would have prayed that that would be recorded because everything else Jonah did was recorded. He didn't pray. I got to give him credit for that, especially in light of what I see happening in so many Christians today because here's what happens. So many believers will absolutely defy God with their life. God will say, I want you to do this, and they go, no, I'm not doing that. So there are areas in our lives where we are defiant of God, and yet then when trouble comes, we're angry at God because trouble comes. Does that make any sense? I'm absolutely defying God, but now, God, what are you doing in my life, right? Or what happens is I defy God, and then I say to God, oh, God, take this trouble away. We'll do this. No, I'm not doing that. Just take the trouble away. So I give him incredible credit because they go to him and say, pray, and at least Jonah goes, nope. Why am I going to pray when I know it's me? Friends, I would just suggest to you, there are times in your walk with God where if you know it's you, don't play this game. Don't play this game with you're mad at God and why won't God answer my prayer? Won't God, why won't God do this? He, he might because he's very gracious. But maybe I'd look at yourself. And so I see so many people in the church that seem to live like hell and then are absolutely perplexed as to why their life's a mess. So yay for the integrity of Jonah. So now here's the point of this part of the story. When you decide not to obey God without a doubt, trouble is coming. There will be a storm. It might be smooth sailing for a while, but eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to deteriorate. Now, now look at this real quickly. One small piece in verse 3. But Jonah ran away, it says, from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. Here it is. After paying the fare. Here's a statement I want you to hear. Whenever you decide to defy what God says and his instructions for your life, just so you know, there will be a price to be paid. There's always a price to be paid. There's a, it's, quite, it's quite costly. You might pay that price in worry. You might pay that price in guilt. You might pay that price in fear, in bitterness, in boredom. I mean, you might pay that price physically, in, in, in emotionally. You might pay that price in ulcers. You might pay that, uh, that price in heart issues. You might pay that price in back issues. But whenever you live in defiance of God, there's a fare. There's a price to be paid. 
I know people that have been in churches for years who refuse to give, refuse to give God their tithe, or if they do, they give them some, some token little tip to God, and they can't figure out why their whole life they live, they're always living needing more. Or they have more money they've ever had, and they can't figure out why they have no contentment. You see, there's always a price to be paid when we live in defiance of God. Now, back to our story. So the storm's getting worse, so they go to Jonah, and then they say this. So it's clearly you, and you got the God of all gods here, so they ask him for advice. So what do we do? Your God wins. What do we do? Here's what he says, verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So he says, he says what do we do? He, he says, pick me up and toss me in. Now, whatever you do at this point, don't get all teary-eyed thinking, oh, yay, Jonah has finally owned it and come to his senses. No, ah, wrong. Do not think that way. Because if you, if you don't see it, Jonah is still trying to duck God. You say, well, how does that work? What do you mean? Listen, they go to him and say, what do we do? And he says, well, throw me in. Can you imagine this? He goes back to God and he goes, well, God, I told him to throw me in and he didn't, they didn't do it. <laughs> what, am I, what am I gonna do? I, I told them what to do. They have to throw me in. They wouldn't throw me in. So I've done my part. You know how, you know the right answer to that is? What do we have to do? Jonah goes, you don't have to do anything and then throw yourself over the board. Throw yourself over the side. That's taking ownership. So don't get all excited here because Jonah, this is not his finest moment. In this moment, he's still putting it on them. Just throw me over. To the point where these guys have integrity. He goes, just you know, do this thing. And they're down there going, I don't want to do this. I mean, they're actually at a point where they're going, this seems wrong. And I love their prayer. Their prayer, if you read it, their prayer is, Lord, we don't have any choice but to throw this idiot overboard. Please know we're not accountable for it. He's the one telling us to do that. This is still his way out. So here's a side note for you. Please remember, whenever you rebel against God's plan for your life, you, in fact, are affecting other people. It's never just you. Never. So they throw him overboard. The seas grow calm. Verse 15, they took Jonah. They throw him overboard. The raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. So now they're really afraid. And all of a sudden, they have a come-to-Jesus moment. So now we have Jonah sinking to the bottom of the sea. And then we have verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish. Don't forget, just a, just a backup actor here. A huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. At this point, I think it's safe to say that Jonah's problems had completely engulfed him. All right. yeah. Okay. You know, some of you just moaned, and that was completely unacceptable. You don't have to say anything if you don't like it, okay, just so you know. So now, did you notice here, did you notice in the story that Jonah doesn't get serious until he's desperate? Because now what's going to happen, he's going to start praying to God. Isn't that our lives right there? You can't blame him for that. That's exactly what we do. Which brings us to this fourth process, this fourth step. And that fourth phase is he comes to his senses. And we seldom come to our senses until we get desperate. That's usually how it goes. Verse 1 and 2, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. In my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. When the bottom falls out, or in his case, when you're falling to the bottom, he starts to pray. So we can't be too critical because that's exactly what we do. You see, for a lot of us, God is our last resort and prayer is our 911. Let me tell you something about God that I absolutely love. God is not like me. 
See, he doesn't want to be your last resort, but he won't hold that against you. You see, here's where he's not like me. You see, my attitude is, well, if you prayed more before the crisis, you wouldn't be in this crisis now. Isn't that helpful? Hey, I really need help. Well, you know, had you listened to me before, that's really helpful. You see, my kind of thought process is, well, so I need help, and I'm going, you know, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to learn this one on your own. No help from me. Isn't that how we think? See, God's not like that. You see, here's the beauty about God. God does not want to be your last resort, but even if he is, he still responds to you like you're his first choice. He's nothing like me. I mean, how many people do you know? How many times in your life have you lived, have you lived in such a way, uh, you know, put God on the shelf, just ignored him, and then have a real crisis come up, and all of a sudden your bottom drops out, oh, Lord. You see, what's interesting through life, I've seen this. I've never heard anyone in real crisis say, oh, Buddha. I've never heard people in real crisis go, oh, crystal around my neck, please bring me power. I've never heard people in crisis say, oh, yoga, help me work it out. What I hear in crisis is people say, oh, God. Desperate moments. Finally, Jonah comes to his senses. He realizes two things. Number one, you can't run from a God who's everywhere. And number two, he realizes the second that you say help, God's help is immediate. So with that prayer of help, our last stage, he's restored. Last phase and we're done. He's restored. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited him, Jonah, onto dry land. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a great restoration verse. <laughs> I know it's kind of hard, but it actually is a great restoration verse. And God, and God had the fish spit him out on the dry land. And then the last verse we'll look at today is this. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Notice God doesn't speak with anger. God doesn't say, so now that I got your attention, no, what God says is, listen, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach. And Jonah says, yes. Jonah goes, and if you watch, read the story. It's incredible. Jonah goes, and do you realize that he goes and he preaches and the entire city turns to God? Over 500,000 people from children to the very king, the king says, we will follow God and repents of their way. It's an incredible story. When Jonah said yes to God's plans, the results were unbelievable. Jonah's story is my story, and it's yours. You see, each of us in our own way, we run from God, right? There are times in our lives we run from God. Times when you know to do the right thing and you don't do it. That's running from God. Times you know do the right things and you procrastinate doing it. That's running from God. God's given you a talent. God's given you an ability. And you don't use it for his kingdom. Running from God. There's a need in the church. There's a need in the world where you can meet it. And you have the attitude that says, well, let someone else do it. That's running from God. You're holding back your giving. You're holding back your money, holding back your offering. Ah, let someone out. That's running from God. When you refuse to admit that God has a claim on your life, that's running from God. So wrapping up, here we go. There's only two reasons that people run from God that I can see. I've, I've experienced both these in my life. Number one, pride. I just think I know better. 
I just think I, I got a better plan. Uh, let me just say to you that you don't. I don't. Second reason people reject God's plan is fear. Fear. I, I just don't know that I can trust him. You can. A successful life is the person who says, I'm just going to do what God says to do. That will be a successful person. So my final words to you are this. Every week when we gather together, we have some folks here who are not followers of Jesus. You might be here this morning. You're not a follower of God, a follower of Jesus. You're trying to figure out this God thing. My encouragement to you is this. Don't run from God. Run to him. Even though you don't understand it all, run to him and you will not be disappointed. But others of us are longtime followers of Jesus. And I would say to you that if you got some area where you know you're supposed to be doing the right thing and you won't, don't run from God. Run with him. And you will love the journey. It will be more than you can imagine. Stan, let's pray. Lord Jesus, right now I pray for no one else but me. Would you help me remember these truths, this story, and this day in the days and weeks in the year ahead of me? For if I can remember this, there will be times where I'm going to follow Jonah's exact same path. And I'd really like to head that off by saying yes to you first. I pray that for every one of us, that these truths would stay close inside of our heads and our hearts, that following your instructions would spare us an awful lot of pain. Dismiss us today in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.